WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. The governor says no to federal money for pre-kindergarten again. Democrats work to energize the base. One candidate worries about apathy and Indiana Ebola preps. That plus sky farming and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending October 24, 2014. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. AT&T, working to enhance connectivity in Indiana by investing in communication networks. Dedicated to helping Hoosier businesses grow and consumers succeed both at home and at work. AT&T, rethink possible. This week, the federal government extended the deadline for the state of Indiana to file for a pre-kindergarten grant, and the governor turned down the opportunity to apply. It put him at odds with state school superintendent Glenda Ritz. We worked on this for two months now, and um, we had it all finished. And already, I mean, it's an Indiana plan to receive the money. Federal funding is no guarantee of success. And frankly, uh, when you look at the Head Start program nationally, that for more than a generation in this country has had very disappointing results. Uh, I really think Indiana would do well and will do well by focusing on developing our own program. Is the governor making a mistake? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel. John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV Statehouse reporter Jim Shella. And Delaney, is the comparison to Head Start an accurate one? No, of course it's not. And, and, and neither is this an excuse. I mean, Indiana was in a position to fashion its own program. He turned this down just the way he turned down the expansion of Medicaid. We're now talking about, by the way, when you aggregate those two things. He's still trying to negotiate. He's not going to get his expansion because it requires a statutory change. Okay, so he's not going to get it. And on top of that, he's now turned down 80 million so that our students could prosper, and all because he wants to play on the national stage and has to appeal to the Tea Party, and that's what this is all about. Well, that's the suggestion. Is this a political decision or a policy decision, Look, or, or is there some of both? I, I think the governor, as I said last week when we talked about this, I think the governor decided that uh, it's a pilot program that the legislature passed. They asked for $10 million. And when they made those negotiations, remember, he had to fight to get the $10 million because that was dead on arrival at least twice during the process last time. The commitment was that they were not going to come back for money in this budget year that they were going to see how the pilot program works before they move, before they decide whether to expand or not. And I think that was a major part of what was on his mind when he made this decision. And uh, 
you know, you can you can argue as to whether ten million versus another twenty million on top of that. But his argument was, you know, how do you expand something like that before you ever start the program at all? And we haven't even studied it yet. And so I think that was why he made the decision he made. He also said that they're now looking for another $10 million within next year's budget, maybe from the surplus. <laughs> so, I mean, is that consistent? No. I guess if, you're, if the, if the uh, ground on which he's standing is that you want only state dollars to go into this program, I guess... Jim, there is some consistency there, but it still uh, begs the larger question. And, and, and well, let's actually go back to your initial question. Is this a mistake? And I think you need to say what the ground rules are. Politically, if his goal is to become president of the United States, or, or at or least vice president, or at least, get, or at least get the Republican nomination, we all know that Republican primary voters are the conservative wing of the party. So from him, from a political standpoint, he probably sees this as, as a feather in his cap that he was able to say no to the federal government. From a policy standpoint, I think it's hard to put a positive spin on this. When you are looking at kids who would be the beneficiaries of this kind of program, there are no strings attached. Uh, there were no qualifying tests or screenings that uh, people have alluded to. Uh, I think this is just part of this ongoing notion that anything that, that has the word federal in front of it is bad. And yeah. it will be interesting. We're still well, about two. Regardless of that, regardless of that, when you look at the fact that there was a committee here that worked for months to come up with this right. proposal, and then he pulled the plug at the last minute, it, it's hard to explain. Well, because it, it makes for a dramatic outcome as opposed to saying early on in the process, look, we're not going to do this because we don't think that we want the federal money to be involved in the system. He could have done that early on. I'm guessing that his position did not evolve over time if it's based on a philosophical point of view. And so that's why waiting until the very end makes it a big splash and does make it a bit of a curious situation. By, and, and it puts him in the position of looking like he, he is actually turning this down. So he's either the bad guy for turning it down because you can't expand a program. And by the way, these are not you know, radically new programs. It's pretty much you, you do preschool uh, for kids who otherwise can't afford it. Or two, he's trying to play to a base and that's the appearance that it, that it could give. So it's yes. one of those two things. That's what he's doing. He's playing to the base because you've got all, I mean, all the large employers from, from Lilly, the Chamber of Commerce, Kroger, everybody was for this, okay? He pulled the plug for his political reasons, and the idea that he had made a promise to the legislature doesn't hold water either no, because does. Brian Bosma said he would not have made the same no, decision. No, he did not say that. That's well, not said, what Brian Bosma said. I that, don't think I would he, have made he, the he same decision. He didn't know because he didn't know what the nuances are that uh -huh, the governor asked uh -huh, from that uh -huh, yeah. clarification. Yeah. So yeah. don't put words in his mouth. That's not what yeah. he said. Well, okay. you cannot portray yourself and as the, the party. Part of of this is, and the other part of this is, this is consistent with Mike Pence's attitude about government programs generally the whole time he was in Congress. Uh, there's nothing different here about how he feels about these programs. He's very cautious about that. He made a commitment that we would have a pilot program for five counties. And he's sticking with that commitment. Yeah, well, no you can't make yourself out to be the party of education when you but haven't he, even restored funding to the, the 2008 level. You attack the, the teachers and you don't allow the resources. When you talk about consistency, it's hard to be consistent and to be a purist when you're talking about federal funding and you're the governor right. of a state. state of Indiana, because that's right. And now, granted, that's he true. will say it's because this is early childhood education. It's different. It's a startup program. But I would argue... It fundamentally, it's no different from the $2 billion would you, would you that also we argue, as a state would you also argue that he's the one that insisted that we 
we have it last century? Yeah, it's a band-aid. Would you argue that? I, all I'm saying is right. would he's going to have to explain why he... I think, I think the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, did Mike Pence do the right thing by passing up a pre-K grant? Your choices are A, yes, B, no, or I can tell you after the 2016 election. Last week's question was, is it time for Sunday liquor sales in Indiana? 26% said yes, 25% said yes, 73% said no, 2% said that time will never come. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. The race for Secretary of State turned a little nasty this week. Beth White came to the State House to accuse Republican Secretary of State Connie Lawson of taking part in a scheme to intimidate voters. It's absolutely outrageous. It has to do with state records for voter registration. White said that in two southern Indiana counties, voters on an inactive list have been informed that their votes on mail-in absentee ballots are being challenged. This is an outrageous violation and a failed leadership on the part of our Secretary of State. There has not been a single challenge to any vote at this point in time. State GOP Chairman Tim Berry responded on Lawson's behalf. He produced a copy of a letter by the state Democratic chairman requesting the same information that triggered the white attack and insisted that everything is on the up and up. When you have an individual that is questioning uh, these types of uh, ballots, as uh, calls into question whether she would uphold the election laws of the state of Indiana if elected as Secretary of State. And Republicans pointed out that postcards distributed by the White campaign don't bear the required disclaimer that tells voters who paid for them. It's a charge White couldn't duck. When we sent the information to the printer, it had the disclaimer. Um, they were printed without the disclaimer. I take responsibility for that. The postcards are no longer being distributed. Mike McDaniel, are Republicans trying to intimidate voters? <laughs> this is the... Uh... We're in full silly season now in this campaign. I mean, this is an act of desperation on behalf of uh, Beth White and the Democrat Party. Uh, the, uh, the state voter list was cl uh, cleaned up uh, at the first part of this year, uh, which was necessary and needed to be done for a long time. I can remember we used to pay $5,000 for the state voter list and then spend $100,000 trying to clean it up. Well, the, the voter list was cleaned up this year. You have 10% of the two counties that are involved here of the people who were deemed to be non-voters or don't live at those addresses anymore request absentee ballots, okay? And the information that the Republican Party asked for is absolutely the same information that the Democrat Party asked for. The two parties always ask for absentee ballot information, not, not, the, not the actual ballots, but the application. They ask for them so they can track what's going on in those counties. And, uh, and I love this because they're pointing a finger at this, saying that there's some kind of special request here. It's the same request they make every every election. Yeah, it, it's clearly trying to be voter intimidation because they've had a good turnout but in but those counties. But, but didn't the Democrats make the same request? Absolutely. The point is they want to challenge those voters who didn't vote as regularly Nobody's as the Republicans been challenged did. Yet. They better not because it's a violation of federal law if you challenge a, va a validly uh, registered voter, number they one. Ask for the and number two, the irony of Tim Berry attacking uh, Beth White for this, you know, 
Everybody knows when Beth White hands out a card, she's asking, she is asking for yeah. the voters' vote. We have hundreds of millions of dollars being spent by Republicans. We don't know who's contributing to the money. We don't know who these groups are she, and what their yeah. agendas she are. Made, she and made that's a, she, fine. She, she, she made a mistake. She made a mistake and she admitted she to it. That's fine. Yeah. But it's yeah. nothing compared and to the fact that commission. the Cook brothers are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to buy elections <laughs> and to convince voters that there is no such thing as climate warming. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Sorry, Michael. Crazy. That's what your party I mean, does. That's, Tell me, you this, that's what well, your that's party does. Tell me, John, do, does, do charges of voter intimidation help energize the Democratic base? Um, you know, if, if that happens, I'll be surprised, given the way this election is going. Uh, and, you know, maybe from Beth White's perspective, if, if she can make that, that go, uh, but she's going to need an awful lot of time and energy to make that thing stick in a meaningful way. So uh, I think that this is, uh, you know, this is, this is what passes for controversy in, a, in an election year that we've seen, which is, you know, not very exciting. Swing and a miss? On whose part? Or both? Maybe both. Well, I think Beth White admitted to an error. I don't think it's a very serious error. I, right. I would agree with that. Right. Um, and I mean, voter, if, in fact, voter intimidation took place, that would be a serious if I, Michael's gesturing, but if it had been, uh, I don't know. I'm not here to yeah. say that it had been or not, but that would be serious. In the scheme of things, though, I think John's exactly right. This is an indication of uh, sort of a vacuum of, of larger issues, for better or for worse, well, in that race and in this, uh, this there election. There are real issues in the state about trying to discourage voters well, from voting. Well, you just had very fraud. Very real issues. Well, where the you, U.S. Supreme Court is, is well, we're looking at some, not in Indiana, but I nationally in terms of I understand, but I mean, the ridiculous issues. requirements on, that, that are there for the fraud that they haven't found yeah. yet, well, they those kinds a, of things are exactly what the voters, what Republican Party is trying to do yeah. is suppress the you vote You just had a guy go to jail for voter fraud from that part of the state a year ago for the same kind of stuff. Yeah, Democrat. for not the same thing. Voter fraud. No, okay, Mike, you can lame anything you want voter fraud. That's you can say is. the lack of a disclaimer jail, is voter man. fraud. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> we're not talking about going in yeah. and, and voting the spin is here. No federal dollars were used in the production yeah, of that right. postcard still, or of that voter right, exactly. Still, with the statewide campaign, there was an effort to energize Democrats by taking on Mike Pence this week. That's why State Democratic Chairman John Zodi joined with State Auditor candidate Michael Clater to question actions taken by the governor. They pointed out that Mike Pence will campaign in other states, including New Hampshire, over the next two weekends. We've asked what are the costs to the state of Indiana of the governor's travel, both nationally and internationally, and that has gone unanswered. When is he going to be transparent with Hoosiers about uh, these plans to either run for president or stay focused on being governor of Indiana, as he was elected to do? Who pays for his travel when he goes to New Hampshire and other states? I have no idea, but that's not a state uh, expenditure. While state GOP chairman Tim Berry deflected the charges, he suggested that the Democrats are desperate. And they're throwing things at a wall, trying to get uh, something to stick uh, in an effort to uh, try and uh, be uh, you know, successful on November the 4th. Clater, meantime, is challenging state auditor Suzanne Crouch. And in the most unusual of the charges, Zodi demanded answers for last year's resignation of Dwayne Sawyer, her predecessor. Taxpayers never found out why the person charged with managing over $30 billion in taxpayer money suddenly left office. John Ketzenberger, why attack Mike Pence? 
Wow. Uh, because nobody cares otherwise. Look, he's the governor no, of the state. None of the candidates on either side have any name ID. He's the only. That's right. He's he's the only only person in this entire election cycle that has any real name ID, that has any real attention. And so, if you're going to try to get something going, you you call him out. And yet, yet, my understanding is his approval rating's above sixty. Yeah, he's very popular. The the point is that I mean that's exactly why you call him out. I mean, you're not trying to, to I mean, because somebody knows him, Jim. You know, but, they don't know but, any but, of these but other but folks. My point is, it's all about energizing Democrats. It's not about well, okay, look at winning it from, from that perspective. Independent though. or crossover voters. Look, if he's if he's at sixty percent level, then that gives him a big fat target to go for. I mean, okay. if you're if you're trying to, I know it's pretty weak. It's yeah. <laughs> I can't help it. It's pretty weak. Does it make sense? And again, this is a an odd uh, cycle. I think we don't have in this state marquee races. People really don't know the incumbents. They don't know the challengers. Uh, people are trying to best they can to to make an impact and and maybe get earned media and so forth. I'm just not sure it's resonating. But if we could decree that candidates here and elsewhere only are allowed to talk about their actual opponents, it would, there wouldn't be much going well, on this yeah, year. Because you look at every yeah, Republican that. basically running against that, incumbents, it's all right. running against Barack Obama. But my Obama. point is, I think right. you, it's interesting to me that the Democrats are attacking Mike Pence for campaigning in other states, but what that tells me is the Republican candidates don't need him campaigning here. Or don't want him. Right. That's, that's absolutely right. And uh, this was a swing and a miss by Chairman Zodi. He's desperate in the final weeks of this campaign. And uh, like Tim Berry said, they're throwing anything they can against the wall to see what sticks. And it's not sticking because he's a very popular governor. And uh, they've miscalculated that. And the more they do it, the better off it is for Mike Pence. It's really hard to get voters interested in these races. Well, we've talked about that before, because the statewide races, nobody knows what they do or care. But the fact of the matter is that they are wrapping themselves in the Republican label as the party of education when they decimate education funding, and the party of transparency when they won't answer simple questions about who, when a state chairman doesn't even know who's paying for the trips that he's taking for political reasons, and you have a state board of accounts with no money to even do audits, how can you have transparency when nobody's even looking at who might be doing something wrong or doing an audit about it or fixing it? It's a joke, and it, it is Mike Pence's label, and it is fair to attack Mike Pence on this, and John Zodi is exactly right, yeah. and so be, is Mike Clayton. But if you're going to be effective at that, you've got to do it on television, Well, you've right? got to do yeah. it on television within the limits of what you've got, okay? Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that you've got the only CPA running for auditor there, who has a knowledge of state government that is unsurpassed, and he is raising legitimate points that need to be answered, and they're not willing to answer them. So that transparency label is now pretty opaque. They're going to have another tough day on Election Day, and it shows already. Yeah. If you're not excited by this year's campaign, you're not alone. For a candidate like State Representative Christina Hale, the lack of interest is potentially a career-threatening situation. Hale is a Democrat who represents a Republican-leaning district on the northeast side, and she's going door-to-door on a daily basis to build up support. But she worries that a lack of interest and the potential for bad weather may have a bigger influence on this race than the issues will. I am afraid people aren't going to turn out to vote when the day comes. I feel like my opponent is really voter apathy. Do you worry about turnout? Uh, everyone does. Yeah, everybody worries about turnout on either side. You want, you want... And that's Hale's Republican opponent, Mike Friedman. John Schwannis will turnout hit a record low.
Actually, I might be willing to predict that. That's not even a bold prediction. I think that's almost a, a fait accompli. I think, again, you, for the factors we just uh, alluded to, you've got a race where there's obviously not a presidential year. It's not a U.S. senatorial year. It, it, it's, it's very important. Don't get me wrong. I would encourage everyone to go out and cast uh, his or her ballot, but it's hard to get people to uh, do so. Sadly, I mean, very sadly, it's... Uh, uh, but statewide, it's, uh, I think we're, I saw some numbers the other day, we're 37th out of 50 states in terms of voter turnout. So we might even well, dip hard, into yeah. the, uh, the... It's hard to know what the turnout will be uh, in advance, but... but the, well, this is based on historical numbers. If we had but, a better idea, if we had early voting, which, of course, we don't have in this state either. Yeah, in May, it was 13% turnout statewide, 8% in Marion County. Better. Unpredictability... Uh, it comes from low turnout, right? Well, I think that it, it can. Um, you know, there is a certain school of thought that if, if you, you know, suppress the vote enough, then the base will turn out and you'll have a better idea about who's coming to the polls. But at this point, uh, and in a general election, uh, I do think it can make for some unpredictability. And I think that Representative Hale uh, and others probably ought to be concerned because... You know, if only a handful of people come out, then then very few people are making a decision on our representation in in the state government. Mm-hmm. Is this the most lackluster campaign year you've ever seen? I, I think it's hard when you don't have a you don't have a, a premier race at the top of the ticket. We said that, and with the re- Republican uh, suppression of the vote, you know, you can laugh all you want, I Michael. I do because that's yeah, so that is bogus. exactly that what is so your bogus. party is trying to do. Oh, and it is trying to make it as difficult as possible for people to. <laughs> Vote, and that there are consequences of that, and the consequence of it is the the abysmal turnout that we have in this state. There's a reason. Without early voting, with making it having you have to have these requirements that are unnecessary, you suppress the vote, and that's your goal. That's bad. code for they're going to get beat again in a bad way, and they to can't handle it. suppress the vote, Michael. That's, that's what, what it's all about. All about. Yeah. All so, about. So, look, do, do, would you prefer low look, turnout? Yes. Look, look let would. me tell you, th- I'm surprised yes. at how little interest there is in this election. And the reason I say that is because we do have congressional elections this year, and there doesn't seem to be any interest in those. I mean, we've got... There's the second district race. Yeah. Joe Buck and Jackie Wars. Other than that that race is the only one there's really a lot of interest. I've not even seen the first commercial for a congressional candidate in the state's biggest television market. If you want to blame anything in that regard, it's probably the fact that very few races are competitive because of the way districts are are drawn. They're they're, they're just... But still, still, you're two weeks out from the election. But we can blame blame gerrymandering. We can blame the the absence of a marquee race. We can blame supposed voter suppression. suppression. The problem here also is the responsibility of voters for not getting off their butts and voting and not being engaged in the process. Moving on. Preparations for dealing with the Ebola virus are underway throughout Indiana. Public safety officials in Indianapolis say they've been developing a plan for weeks while trying to learn from Dallas where two health care workers were diagnosed. The Marion County Health Department outlined procedures including how to test lab specimen, quarantine patients, and remove protective gear. They say if an Ebola patient is diagnosed here, strict guidelines will be followed. We continue to review this as a staff in the Department of Public Safety. We've been doing this for the last three weeks. We will continue and monitor the events in Dallas or wherever else in the world it may occur. We have the expertise in treating patients with serious infectious diseases. And we take this very seriously about protecting our patients, our staff, and our communities. 
Dr. Virginia Kane from the Marion County Health Department there, preceded by Troy Riggs, the Public Safety Director in Indianapolis. Mike McDaniel, do you feel secure? I tell you, I, I think that every major city in America, after what happened in Dallas, is going out of their way to try to do everything they can to make sure proper protocols are in place and are prepared, and people are going out of their way to make sure that they ensure the public to ensure to the public that those protocols are in place in Indianapolis for instance they've designated an ambulance a specific ambulance to deal with this in fact if they have one of those cases all the hospitals are being reviewed uh, so I think the lesson was learned in Dallas and that's a good thing because I think uh, cities all across the country are doing the same and they're doing that here and I feel good about what we're doing here to get ready you feel good? I, I do. I think Dr. Kane is doing exactly what she ought to do, and, and they'll be prepared, hopefully unnecessarily. Finally, the Sky Farmers who tend to the rooftop garden on top of the Eskenazi Hospital are calling their first season a success, but they say there's room for improvement. They harvested a wide range of fruits and vegetables, including turnips, radishes, blueberries, and strawberries. The garden produced about 2,000 pounds of food this year, or about 100 pounds per week. Sky Farmer Rachel White. It's a great number for the starting season, but uh, there are a lot of things that we now know that we could have done differently. Obviously, this was our first year, so we're learning a lot. And Delaney, is that a practice that will spread? I think that's a great idea. It, it, locally grown produce and, and healthy produce for, uh, for hospital patients, great idea. Good, good uh, hats off to Eskenazi and Matt The food goes to the cafeteria there, but it's also good for the environment. There's grass growing on the roof right here. Yeah, there's, they're way ahead of their time, and it's something you're going to see more and more of all over this country. And if medical marijuana is ever legalized in Indiana, they're ahead of the game. Just <laughs> oh, my. Up on the roof. Up on the roof. That's no, Indiana no. Week in Review <laughs> for this week. Our panel is Democrat and Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwanis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir or starting Monday. You can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. AT&T, working to enhance connectivity in Indiana by investing in communication networks. Dedicated to helping Hoosier businesses grow and consumers succeed both at home and at work. AT&T, rethink possible. Thank you.